Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy. We are really excited about today's podcast because we have two wonderful district leaders and both are doing really important work. And we can't wait to talk with them about that important, exciting work. Absolutely. So we have Jean here from Fairfax County Public Schools and really excited to show the work that they're doing with adopting new curriculum. And so it's exciting because um, Jean is in the process right now with her district of adopting a new curriculum and um, fun to hear about the work that they are doing at the moment. Um, And then we also have Janice, who we've had on before, but it's been a long time. She was one of our first guests. (laughs) Um, And Janice We're we're happy that she's still friends with us after all this time. A hundred podcasts later, Janice is a returning guest. Yes. And Denise was our fearless leader in Baltimore when we went through the adoption process. So she has a lot of experience to share, as well as has seen a lot of other districts and what they're doing. So they'll share more about themselves. So we'll start with Jean. Can you tell us a little more about who you are and your district? Sure, absolutely. So hi, everyone. And thank you for letting me be part of this today. So excited to be here. Um, My name is Jean. I am one of the elementary education, education specialists for elementary language arts in Fairfax County, where I manage professional learning for our district. Um, And Fairfax County is a large district. It's in Fairfax, Virginia. And um, it's I think the 10th or 11th largest district in the nation. Wow. So undergoing this tra- this change is really exciting. Um, and, you know, from a systems perspective, um, a bit unique because we're so large. Well, you're on the right podcast because uh, we have Janice, who was the leader of a very large district. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hi, everybody. So great to be back, Melissa and Lori. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's always admire the work you do, was privileged enough to work alongside you and now get to continue to follow the amazing leadership that you've taken with your podcast. So thanks for having me back. Um, can't believe it's 100 episodes later. I feel like we should break into like Golden Girls. Thank you for being a friend in honor of Betty and everything for 100 right now. So um, I often feel like I'm 100, but um, I'll go back to that a little later. I spent 11 years of my career in Baltimore, uh, seven of those years as the executive director of teaching and learning. Um, and had the great privilege to work with amazing leaders, teachers, students, really the best folks in the work, uh, and got to learn alongside of those folks while we brought in HQIMs, high-quality instructional materials for both math and literacy, and we're beginning to engage deeply in that work in science. And during that time, I got to also do some national work with some colleagues at Curriculum Matters and really work elbow to elbow with other leaders taking on this change management work. Um, I left that work in July and really started exploring that passion of how do we explore deeper work, um, you know, across other partners and different pieces and was honored to join Amplify Family. So I am currently um, the regional vice president for Partner Success. So and we couldn't fancy. be more excited for you because <laughs> I'm just, I feel like you were so amazing in Baltimore and I'm just so happy that you found a fabulous place to land. And even though I wish you were still, you know, with us, we are very thrilled that you have a wonderful new home. Thank you so much. I feel like all of us that are in the HQIM world are all sisters in that work, sisters and brothers in, in moving equity sure. for kids. So thank you. Yes. Yep. We all have the same goal, right? That's right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we're we're liter. I, I always um, say that we're literacy BFFs. That's right. You know. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So, Jean, do you want to tell us a little bit more? I know you just gave us a little hint at um, what's happening in Fairfax County, but tell us a little more about um, the curriculum landscape. Like, where have you all been? Where are you going? What what's happening right now? What's what's happening soon? 
Let us know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Those are really great, really great questions. So Fairfax is um, in a really exciting time right now where we have the opportunity to make some shifts and some changes um, and adopt high quality instructional materials. And so uh, typically Fairfax County has had um, homegrown curriculum where we've had folks in our district office who have written our curriculum and teachers have used it and um, implemented it in their classrooms. <clears throat> Pardon me. And what, um, what's been great is it's, it's, you know, it's allowed teachers to use their creativity. It's allowed teachers to be really responsive to their students. And what um, we've found, though, from a district level is that across our 143 elementary schools, different schools were doing different things. And when we think about equity, we think about we want high quality instructional materials for all students, no matter where you are, no matter what zip code you're in. And so there were some schools that started adopting foundations, letters, and then there were some schools who, who didn't, and they were using that to supplement the curriculum that we were putting out as, as a district. Sounds familiar, Denise, huh? Well, it sounds like <laughs> repeat, right? It sounds like the great I'm, I'm so thrilled to hear, you know, Jean, the deep reflection that you all are doing around what what are the current successes, right? You also aren't throwing everything out, but really thinking about how do you take the strength of your district and make a decision and even empower teachers more by level setting and ensuring that everybody has those high quality materials. Yeah, definitely. And and I think, you know, as we, as a district, we've started developing an equitable access to literacy plan. Um, well, not developing. It's it's in the we're in the process of implementing it at this, at this time. And you know, like the rest of the country, really, we noticed that our outcomes weren't. I'm wondering, Dean, what is in the Equitable Access to Literacy Plan? Are you would you mind sharing? Yeah, I'm happy to share. So the Equitable Access to Literacy Plan, we are on version 3.0. Um, it started uh, version one with one of our really incredible education specialists who started noticing um, that they, that why aren't we, like there seemed to be some things that were missing. Mm -hmm. and, and so we were hearing from community stakeholders and we were hearing from, you know, principals and teachers, like, what do we do for our word study, you know, instruction and our kids can't spell and we're noticing our kids aren't reading. So what we did was we started crafting this plan and thinking about what the outcomes are that we wanted. And so we were like, we want all students to be able to read no matter what, like no matter where they live, no matter what school they go to. And we want them to have access to these high quality instructional materials. So we thought big picture, like what are the things that we need to do to make sure that this happens? Well, we definitely need to make sure that we're adopting high quality instructional materials. We also need to make sure that our teachers understand why we're adopting those high quality instructional materials and build their knowledge because there are certain things that, you know, they may not have had an opportunity to learn in school, like in college, you know, time has, time has passed yeah. for, for a lot of them. And so what do we need to do to build their capacity and help them, give them the tools so that they can be successful um, in making sure that all their students can, can read. I think that's just so critically important too. When, <clears throat> excuse me, when you think about vision setting, uh, you know, so many districts as they embark on the work can say what they mean, but to codify it and actually capture it so that stakeholders understand the movement, because we all know when we're doing change like this, it's not just about bringing in materials and training and then moving forward. There's a lot of mindset work um, and a lot of engagement work. So ensuring that folks know why we're doing the shift and why we're doing the change, I think is is so important. And Jean takes me back to those memories when I was director of literacy, you know, and we'd have to go share our results and talk to cabinet. And it felt like a kick in the stomach every time you looked at the data because it was so predictable. We knew, you know, MOI data was going to say this, but we couldn't say why things weren't moving. 
because again, we had really smart people working, really hard and dedicated teachers. But what we noticed in Baltimore with our homemade curriculum through an audit process was that we were actually unintentionally creating gaps because we, when we built it, you know, we were doing the best we could, but we didn't think about vertical alignment, knowledge building, vocabulary depth, all of those pieces that we now know so much more about. And I think it goes to that point of, really understanding the science. And I don't just mean the science of reading, right? That's a component within that, but really understanding how things change and what we know from research, what we know from practice. And, you know, you hear so many people say, you know, that parallel structure to you would never go to a doctor who was doing the same things they did in 1980 without changing anything. So, you know, I think as district leaders, And as folks that, as you said it, are literacy BFFs, we should be pushing each other into the research to constantly study what's happening. You know, how do we use continuous improvement to really drive? Are we getting the outcomes we're intending for? And we can't get to any of that if we don't have a plan to start with. Yeah. So good. I'm I'm thinking about when we were in Baltimore, the one thing that really helped me see the power of high quality materials and deeply understand the science of reading and the critical importance of knowledge building were the high quality materials because I it was the first time I had seen in action all of those things you know coming together and I could see the different components and how they addressed it I'm wondering you know Jean I know that you're on the search right now you're you're in that exploration period um, what's happening for you all right now? I, I'm sure that you're kind of setting everyone up for that, but um, would you mind giving us a little overview about what's happening in your district right now to prepare for that onset of high quality materials? Um, so like laying the foundations for the science of reading, but then also um, planning for the adoption process? Yeah. <clears throat> so there's two, there's two pieces there. So there's, planning for the adoption process. And then there's also the professional learning and getting our teachers prepped. So um, I'll talk first about the adoption process, and then I'll talk about what we're doing um, with the professional learning. So um, we are currently going through an RFP process. And for those of you that don't know what RFP, it means request for proposal. And that's how we get these high quality instructional materials. And I think if I could just add this little anecdote, what I wish everyone knew about the RFP process that that I didn't know was um, we can't just go out and say, we want that high quality instructional material. Like that's the one that we want. It doesn't work that way. So there's a lot of input from a lot of different stakeholders. And that's critical because you're spending millions of dollars to get this high quality instructional materials into the hands of teachers to support our students. And that's also taxpayer dollars. So we want to make sure that we're including everyone. So the process starts out where we get this, this landscape. We send out a survey to teachers. What's like, what's going on? What do you need? Um, What's happening? And so that survey, that survey went out. um, Gosh, I want to say in 2019 and we were, it was, and from there, we were able to build the requirements of what it is that we want in a high quality instructional material. Like what the feedback from the teachers, what are they saying that they need? We're seeing like we need stuff for, um, you know, for phonics instruction, for word study instruction. We need these materials. And so um, as and also considering like you were saying, Janice, all the information that we know about evidence-based instruction and knowledge building and doing what's best for kids and and aligning our curriculum with evidence-based practices. So once we get all of, once the requirements are set, they send out a request for proposal. So all of the publishers are like, Ooh, like if we meet these requirements, we're going to apply. And um, they send us samples and they tell us how they're meeting all of the requirements. And then a committee gets together and, and looks. And so they look at, okay, does this, does this um, resource actually meet the requirements? They said that they did, but let's go through and dig and see. And so 
that kind of splits off because something that I didn't know about this process that was really eye-opening to me was there's the content piece. Like, is this good content? But then there's also this whole technical side where you look at student privacy and is it compatible with the resources that we use in the county? Like we use Schoology. So, um, so that was really interesting. You don't think about that. You think like, is this aligned with what we want? And then another thing that we look at too is thinking about our teachers, right? Like workload. I mean, we know that teachers are probably the hardest working <laughs> individuals in any profession. And I might just add in like the teachers in Fairfax <laughs> County are awesome. And, you know, we have to look at, is this high quality instructional material something that our teachers can use and implement within their contract hours mm-hmm. and their contract time. Because if it's not, then it's something that we need to we need to think about. And, and Jean, consider. can I pause you for a moment? So once first, I'm yeah. super excited. I feel like we need to have a whole nother podcast called "What I Wish Everyone Knew About the RFP Process." That's <laughs> on point. <laughs> the second thing I just want to do a quick little summary is that. Um, you're, you're really talking about the triangulation between content logistics and people, right? So you're thinking about yes. in that process more than just what it seems. Am I hearing you right? Is there, yes. when you think about does this resource meet our criteria, right? That is, so those, those buckets are what you're considering. Um, is there anything that if, if you had to like press pause right now and give a piece of advice to someone listening, like someone is in your seat right now, <laughs> would you, what would you, what would you say to them? Like, I am knee deep in this. What, what's your best advice? Oh my gosh. That is such a hard question. <laughs> we can also pause and turn you. it over to Denise for a minute. Yeah, yeah. we can do that. Sure. I don't know about you, Denise, but when Jean was talking, I was like, this brings me right oh, back <laughs> to our RFP yeah, days. Absolutely. That's so I sure. know Denise, you had any like Anything to add about similarities or things that were different sure. in Baltimore I, or other counties? Absolutely. I think in yeah. that um, triangulation that Lori just framed out, I think sitting central in the middle is context. So, you know, district context matters so much. So I know I mentioned having a vision, having a strategy. Um, and as Jean said, you know, Baltimore followed almost every single one of those steps. I think one thing that was really outstanding that happened with the committee work in Baltimore was before we ever got into the process of unpacking materials, um, you know, starting to do the rubric analysis and looking at both those content and operational and technical pieces, we spent a lot of time training those folks. Um, and when I say training, I mean really norming around what do we want. So we had done very similar. We had done um, engagement surveys. So teachers, uh, stakeholders, parents, community members really told us what they wanted in the curriculum. We also did engaging sessions where people could come out and meet people from district office and really talk about those pieces. Um, So we were able to, you know, get in a room that was back pre-COVID when we were in a real room and we could have things hanging around the room that said teachers want this, parents want this students want this. And so really just continuing to ground. We also brought in leading experts like David Lieben. Um, We leveraged hard ed reports. We brought in folks from ed reports to talk to the team about how those and um, analysis documents, those reports that they created were built. Um, What were the components within them? What was that, you know, evidence-based science behind the work? We brought in Nell Duke to help folks understand how to go to other research organizations to study the work. Um, And so we spent, you know, a great deal of time investing in that, which was great because for us in Baltimore, um, we had a principal who engaged in that process with us. You know, we had teachers, we had principals, we had district office. And one of the things the principal came back and said was, this is so different. You know, she had been in the district a number of years from the previous RFPs I've ever engaged in. So, you know, and right when we started that work, we started communicating it outward. So we did some things like Facebook live sessions with our CAO at the time um, and really started talking about why are we doing this work, right? And I think that point Jean made about not only is it tax dollars, right? But you have to be fiscally responsible because it's not like you have dollars to buy a new curriculum every two years. 
So when you're jumping into something this deep, especially with a district as large as Fairfax, Baltimore, really any district, right? You have to be fiscally responsible as well that what you're doing is investing in quality. So I would just add that for us, it was we knew this process was worthy of deep study worthy of deep work and worthy of deep engagement throughout. And that was the beginning launch of how did we do that work? And I I would just say to people that I think there are, you know, there are a number of resources and places to support people in that work now. And when you're doing that work, you know, you can study places like Ed Reports, right, where they give you those foundational gateway pieces. But I said context because nobody can tell you what you need unless you live in your district. And so for us in Baltimore, we heard over and over again that families, teachers wanted to celebrate the richness and the culture and the uniqueness and beauty of Baltimore. So, you know, as we adopted literacy curriculum, we knew we wouldn't get uh, Baltimore specific literacy curriculum. So that drove us in some other places to bring about curriculum called Be More Me, for example, in social studies, where we could study some of those deeper pieces and really highlight that. So for us, I would just say, you know, biggest piece of advice is you have to be a learner in the process as the same time you're being a leader. So, you know, linking arms with friends and family and other places, you know, we partnered up, you know, Sumner County came to us after we had adopted in Baltimore and we talked through the process and they did things to do better than we did. So, you know, I think sharing those stories and I know, again, I'm just going to highlight, you know, because there are case studies and different pieces. Ed Reports did a case study on Baltimore's engagement process. And we've had so many conversations with people about what that looks like. And then it's amazing to see how they add on to make it even better. So I think my piece of advice would be don't go into it thinking you know what you're doing as a leader. You also have to learn as you're doing that work. Yeah, Janice, and I'm glad you brought up Ed Reports and being a learner because I was thinking the whole time about you know, it's so easy to go into something like Ed Reports and see like, oh, they're all green and they, they got the highest score. Why don't we just pick the one with the highest score? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that we really went deep into those, even what Ed Reports said, right? Like, you know, how did they get those scores? What was it that that was missing or what what needed to be strengthened? And, and we went deep in, in everything, <laughs> um, but that's just one example. And it's so important yeah. to know that like every material is not equal, right? Like all of those green light pieces, they are, there are materials that go from, you know, the standard of, they feel like a basilish program that has met evidence-based criteria, but there's everything in the kitchen sink in there for teachers to teach. And then you go to ones that are, you know, beautifully designed around a knowledge building curriculum with all of those coherent pieces or the pieces around really identifying that um, early science, the science of reading, what does that look like? So, you know, you have to think about it the same way, like you go to buy a car, right? Every car has met the criteria for safety for whatever, but you're not just going to walk in and grab, you know, X brand at the first one you see, you really have to do some study around, hey, I've got kids, I need it to have these kinds of features in the backseat, and I need this to happen. And I need to think about that. So I think that's really important. And I would also, you know, I'll do a plug too for the curriculum matters people. If you don't follow them, I think there's a they're a great group of district leaders going through this work. Um, and, you know, I know Melissa and Lori always organize things. They can share the website. But really, the idea with that group is cheerleaders and leaders coming together to think about how do you get through this process and learn together. So, you know, again, you know, Sumner County, Aldean, Texas, you know, there's a million people in that group that are really thoughtful leaders to think about this work and learn and lean into one another. And I, I would also say, say about that, Denise, yeah. so thank you. No, and, and Lori, I would just add, because I didn't say it, there's also a few webinars on there that are worth taking yeah. a visit. One around not all materials are created equal. So you'll, you know, it'll yeah. go through that if you're in the process now to start thinking about where do you want to go and what do you want to do as Jean's district is working through. Yeah. Thanks, Denise. I'll link that in the show notes. Um, I'll link the Curriculum Matters website and their social media because I know they're super active on social. Excellent. Yeah. 
Thank you. Jean, did you think of any advice during that time? <laughs> I mean, everything that Shinny said. Plus one. There. Perfect. Done. Check. <laughs> Plus one. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think, I think it's like if someone going through the process right now, um, I, I mean, to me, and I think Janice, you hit on this a little bit, you got to think about your teachers um, and, and you have to think about your students and, and you have to figure out a way to blend what you know is best for kids with what we know about the student, the teachers and the students in our district. And I think just keeping that at the forefront is, is critical. Exactly. Yeah. And I put in, in the chat, but podcaster listeners can't hear it. So I'm going to update my <laughs> triangulation from content logistics and people to content logistics and resources because resources can include people in time. And I feel like that really encompasses what we're, what you're all are sharing. Um, you're going to have to actually process. create this triangle. I'm going to have to create a graphic. <laughs> I know. I know. Put it not out me. there. I'll just draw it on chart paper. What? <laughs> <Like, laughs> <not> <laughs> oh, be collaborative? Oh, thank you. <laughs> See, you're really good at paraphrasing. So. <laughs> and, and creating infographics. Uh, <laughs> And creating a faux graphic. Next exactly. thing you know, she'll be making t-shirts, um, Jean, just so you know. <laughs> um, I have a cricket machine. And oh, do you guys yeah. know what a cricket machine is? Yeah. Get the, get the triangle yeah. on so a t-shirt. Design, send it to me. Can and you I'll imagine everyone going through the you. RFP process, having this like big triangle, like RFP rules, you know, with their... <laughs> Because I think when you're knee deep and you're going through all of the resources, it's so easy to get caught up in yeah. the content. And, and we just can't lose sight of why we're here, what matters, the kids, the students, to make all of our students readers. Yeah. All right. Well, RFP rocks. Thank you for deconstructing that process for us. <laughs> all the procurement people in the world are dancing right now. They're so happy to hear people cheering RFPs, right? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I know, exactly. And a shout out to Fairfax. We have a lot of acronyms. So teachers, you can add that acronym <laughs> to your list. We actually have a page of That's acronyms. That's so funny. You're probably not alone. Yeah. I bet there's a lot of people out there who are yeah. like, I, that resonates a lot teachers deeply love with acronyms. me. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Um so I to just to talk a little bit about the professional learning process. I mean, I could talk about this all day because I this is like my the in and out of my job. But I I think the most important thing um, to think about whenever we're thinking about the professional learning is we know that we're going to be adopting high quality instructional materials. We don't know what yet, right? Because we're still in the RFP process. It's confidential. We we can't share anything other than what I shared with you and that we're in this process. And so we have to think about like, what is it that our teachers need to know before they get the, before they get the high quality instructional materials? And really what they need to know is this, they need this content knowledge. You know, we've had, we've had teachers that have been like, I had no idea that there was a difference between phonics and phonological awareness, or that phonemic awareness was a subset of phonological awareness and all this terminology. So, um, we what we've done in Fairfax is we we think of the professional learning in three buckets. So we think of it as like admin and literacy leaders. So at a high level, like what does what does this need to look like at your school on the school level? And then we have our teach or our just our literacy leaders. How are you able to coach up with your administration? How can you support individual teachers? And then we look at our teachers um, and what do teachers need to know right now as far as this content. And so it's all parallel to each other. So for example, this year we were like, we really need to build content knowledge around oral language, why it's important, uh, phonological awareness, why it's important, and phonics and why it's important. And so that looks a little bit different though for teachers than it does for literacy leaders than it does for administrators because they all have different lenses, but it's the through line is still the same. Janice, I'm wondering if you wanted to add to that 
because I know Baltimore had some of the very same threads and through lines. So if you were going back to that time and thinking about how you planned to roll it out, we get, we actually get a lot of questions from listeners, Janice, about that. How, you know, I, we're, we're in this process. We just adopted what, what's great for professional learning. What do folks need to know if you could share or elevate anything that you felt like was important and necessary for those buckets um, and any like lessons learned that you feel like you might, might think help people out there listening. Sure. So I think one thing um, was very similar to, to what Jean talked about, right? When we launched the process of readiness for adoption, we did a lot of work around readiness. So I talked a little bit earlier about the communication we did, but we also did professional learning around what is, you know, the science of reading, right? So very, very similar to what Jean was talking about, you know, why does it matter? And re-engaging people in the in the actual science. We were fortunate in Baltimore to have foundations for a number of years. Um, but what we didn't couple with that was the why behind it. So people were, you know, picking and choosing or saying, oh, my kids got that. I'm going to skip this lesson. And then not realizing that that impacted the trajectory a year later or six months down the road. Um, so some of our readiness was very similar. We, you know, we talked with our teachers we worked with our teachers. We also really tried to elevate teacher voice in the work so that teachers could be telling us what they needed as the next step. So really, you know, doing that readiness work. I would say as a district leader, the other part that our leadership team really embraced was continued study of what does that look like? So at the same time we were running the RFP and really thinking about that, we were running a plan for what does three years of learning look like in professional development. Um, as Jean said, across all of those stakeholder groups. So we did the same. We had teachers, we had district-based literacy coaches. Um, we had a position called an ACL, which was an academic content lead um, that worked with the, with the folks too. And then we had them for our teachers. Well, um, I'm sorry for our leaders, but we also had them for our principal coaches and supervisors, right? Because what we wanted to make sure, and I think, you know, I have lots of C words that are my favorite, but coherent um, is one of them and really building a coherent design in a professional development sounds like it's easy, right? It's another t-shirt, but it is hard work to do, especially when you're trying to honor the developmental process that people also need to go through in the mind, in the mind shift work. So for us, it was thinking about, and and I think in Baltimore, we had a great example of this, right? Uh, Dr. Sonia Santalisas, who is our CEO, is incredible. And she set from the agenda that she was a lead learner in this work, the same as a teacher was, right? This was year one for everybody, really understanding new curriculum, the design of the curriculum, the intentionality of the curriculum. So we spent a lot of time studying together, right? Uh, our principal supervisors, our principals, our cabinet level folks were all walking and learning and leading from a space of inquiry to understand what was happening. It wasn't the, hey, the curriculum says you need to do, you know, the launch component in five to seven minutes and you were 10. So I'm writing you up, right? It was what would what what decisions did you make as a teacher to do X Y Z? Um, we at the time had partnered with um, the Standards Institute, and so we had some learning walk protocols we were using to really study. Okay, this is exactly what we saw, right? So the folks that were visiting classrooms scripted it from minute one to minute 20. So we had different groups rotating in. The first 10 minutes were scripted by this group. Another group came in and scripted the next 10. And what it created was this amazing opportunity to look at 30, you know, 30 minutes of instruction and what the teacher moves were in that. And then what we did as a learning tool was we compared that to what the curriculum said and noticed where there were discrepancies, where there were time adjustments, and we just started talking to people. 
asking a teacher, why did you do that? Right. What did you, you may have substituted um, a, a worksheet that you wanted to use versus what the curriculum provided. Tell us why. And so we started to really build an understanding as a district into what that change was happening and really elevating our teachers as leaders, as advocates for themselves to say, we need this. And so we really concentrated on teacher learning and then thought about how that played out to the rest of the strands. If a teacher needs this, a principal needs to understand this, a literacy coach needs this. And for us, we were really fortunate because we had a great partner alongside of us um, in our adoption process once we made the choice in Baltimore. Um, Baltimore was able to leverage wit and wisdom through great minds for literacy in K-8. And so, you know, we partnered right up with them in the process because as soon as we got to the decision of what our materials were, we launched right into deep professional learning with the partner. And here's a huge one. Like I say this all the time, the partner works for us, right? We're not hiring the partner to do our work. We're partnering with them to do the work in Baltimore. So we were fortunate to be able to say, okay, we understand this is your PD trajectory, but this is what we want. And so we were able to customize to, you know, um, to be specific to that context piece I hit earlier in the development, in the training, in the feedback, and use that as a continuous improvement model. So we studied from our teachers and surveyed, did it really meet your needs or what do we need to do next? And I think as a leadership team, being transparent and vulnerable that you're learning in this too is, is just so, so important. Not just to say it, but to actually show it, believe it, and live it. Um, and we we got fortunate. I mean, we were blessed in Baltimore. We had a, a couple of amazing teachers that also just started tweeting everything they were doing. And that changed practice, right? Because a teacher is going to listen to the fourth grade teacher down the hall who's doing the same lessons and finding this or our sixth grade teacher who was posting student work that generated a whole conversation in his own building about how did you change practice to get your kids to be writing like this. So I think leveraging all of those opportunities, um, and I'll just hit again that you have to be a learner in the process, right? There are other great resources if folks don't know Rivet um, and their professional learning partnership guide. It's another gold mine, right? It is another space where you can go and see actually a list of all partners that can do and support this work, which is amazing. But also what's there is how do you set up a professional learning development plan that is coherent, that is aligned, that is actually the same amount of time and worthy energy you're putting into teachers, you're putting into your district as a whole. So I think being able to think about those things at the same time, like, right, as Jean said, they don't have their material chosen yet, but they need to have a professional development plan. So when the material's chosen, you know, what are those automatic onboarding things that have to happen? Because teachers have to know how to unpack the boxes. And God love all the HQIMs that come in pallets and boxes and boxes <laughs> and boxes, right? Like if you give those to a teacher and they have no idea why they need what they need, um, you know, you have to figure those things out. So there are some transactional technical things that have to happen in the PD plan, but then you also have to think about that trajectory of learning that is critically important for you to get to the, you know, in integrity within the implementation and design of the program. So you can tell too, Jean, I share a little bit of that passion of PD with you because I think, you know, I, I always think about this what, and, and it's, it's kind of funny, right? Because when we did the adoption process, it was like, oh my gosh. And Jean, I know you and I talked about this. It is so much work. Um, and you think that's like the hard work. And then you get to the board <laughs> and they approve and you get the materials in. And then you're like, oh my gosh, now we need to implement this, right? And so for me, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day and I said, this is kind of like, look, I love the Ravens. I go to the football games. I know a lot about the sport. You could give me a new uniform. You could give me top of the line spikes. You could give me all of the things that equate to an HQIM. But if you put me on the field, I would have no idea what to do in a play, right? Because that again- You're not going to be Lamar. No, I am no Lamar. Lamar. I don't even think I could be like the guy that just passes the ball, right? Like the little center person who just hands you that. Guess what? There's strategy to that. There's decisions that you make. 
And Jean, you said it earlier, our teachers are not only the hardest working, but they're the people that have to make 60,000 decisions in two minutes on their feet. And so to equate that, you know, we did great things. We gave Baltimore everything they needed in that K-8 platform. It was beautiful. It was pre-wrapped. It was coherent. It was everything. But what we owed them now was the support to know how do you make a strategy decision? What's the playbook look like? But at the same time, you have to support people through that change management. So how do you help them? How do you design this? How do you give space to give feedback in the real work? So, you know, again, I'm just going to push that as as a district, you have to be a learner and there are those resources out there for you to lean into. I You just made me so excited about like where we're going and and letting, you know, like when I'm thinking about the equitable access to literacy plan that we have in place in Fairfax County right now, we're starting that. We're starting to develop a PD plan for future phases. And we're thinking about all of the things that you just said. And um, I, I, I know that our leadership is they're learners. You know, we have some leaders in our in our district office who don't have a literacy background who have embraced this change and have been like, all right, I'm gonna read this, I'm gonna look at this. And and that's been so exciting to see because they have math backgrounds or they have, you know, social studies backgrounds or or something different. And they're taking the time to learn. And so something um I would just say that that we used in our district was the book Shifting the Balance. And that book was, it's a really good gateway and entry point into learning. Like, what does this, um, what is the science of reading? And what does that, what might that look like in my classroom? And I think by using that, we're using that with principals for a book study to help them to understand what to look for in classrooms. We're using that with literacy leaders to make sure that, um, that they're able to really articulate with teachers, like, this is what you're doing. And then like, this is how you might make the shift and how it might look a little bit different. And I'm really excited about all of this for our district, because I think that's what you were saying, Janice. It's like laying that groundwork, right? So we're building the content where it's the why, and it gives a lot of the research behind these shifts and why these shifts should happen and how, um, what we're doing before was not like bad. You know, I think that we just need to put that out there. I think people think like teachers are like, oh, you, you know, I, I wasn't doing the right thing. And the reality is we have more information now. And so here you go. And it's, and in this particular book, it's packaged well to help teachers. And I, can I just add one more thing? I, I think that is so important, right? The reason we're doing this is because every single student deserves every, every opportunity in front of them to be the best that they can. And it is our job to bring that equity into the materials, into the instruction, into the coaching, into the work of the district as a whole. So the equity work can't belong to an office, right? It's the real work every day that a teacher says and does. And I think that this professional learning journey is the most exciting thing that can happen in a district because it is the it is the concrete that puts it all together, right? I just got finished talking to two amazing districts in like Sumner County in Tennessee is using swivel cameras to really use and and look at the instruction that their teachers are doing in the live moment and provide feedback, right? Aldine, Texas is doing this at-bat rehearsal where they're taking their CKLA curriculum and they're really unpacking it. And then they're taking it and allowing teachers to practice with one another, right? So this, this idea about not just the learning part, but building advocacy and having teachers lead their own work is just ground changing. And I think, you know, just brings the whole district to a new level. Um, and it's just, it, it's empowering, right? It's empowering, not just for teachers, but for our students and hearing our students carry the message of how different their learning is and how excited they are. When you talk to parents who say, oh, I know my kid's studying X, Y, Z because of this. Um, I just think it's such an amazing piece to really bring it into, you know, you're getting ready into that exciting part, Jean, of the implementation now. (laughs) 
It, 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 you know, it is so exciting. And as I think about the high quality instruction materials and everything that you were just talking about, Janice, it really brings to the forefront for me that by adopting a high quality instructional material, we are laying this foundation for every single student mm-hmm. to be getting just solid, good instruction. And then teachers, because they need to adapt it. Like you said, we had to adapt it for our district um, based on the population that we have in our district. You know, if you have a class that's primarily ESOL, you might, it might look a little bit different, but your starting place from that high quality instructional material, you know that it's good. It's, it's, um, it's, it's good quality. It's high quality. It's evidence-based and you have a, you have a starting point and that's, that's equity right there. And I would also just just add, um, you know, the high quality instructional materials, not only are they supportive of students, but they're supportive of teachers. You know, we have teachers right now who they're planning an interactive read aloud, three small groups a day of reading mini lesson, <laughs> a writing mini lesson, preparing for reading conferences, writing conferences. That's for language arts. And they still have to teach math, science, social studies, fill out field trip forms, send kids to the clinic, (laughs) deal with all of the COVID procedure, right? Like I was subbing last week and it was like, oh no, we can't eat next to each other because we have to be six feet apart. I don't even know. The kids know. It's what teachers are asked to do right now. um, This is just going to be such a gift for them. And, you know, we're going to, they can refine those lesson plans to meet the needs of their students. And and I'm, I'm just so excited because I think that this is just what's so it's just going to be so good for teachers. It's going to be so great for students. And um, it's also what our advocacy groups and our families have been have been asking yeah. for. I'm really happy to hear that after this conversation, you're very excited and not scared. Because I, I know there was so much that was shared. I was like, I hope we're not overwhelming, Jean. I hope Jean- <laughs> Jean's in it. She's already ready. <laughs> no. you're- I'm excited. I, I love, I think I shared with you guys in the pre-call, you know, like I, I just love Fairfax County. It's, it's such a, it really is such a great district. And um, I'm so excited that, you know, you know, we, we, we did the hard work looking at our structures that were in place and, and realizing that the structures we had in place were, were designed for the outcomes we were getting. And we're realizing that those aren't the outcomes that that's not what we want. That's not what yeah. we can do. We, we owe it to our families and our students to have all students be able to learn to read no matter where they are. Well, well said. I feel like you know, we've done, we've given advice throughout this episode, so I'm not sure we should end with we advice. We specifically even though... asked for advice throughout the episode. Uh, we did. I know. So, <laughs> but I will say, <laughs> yeah, think about if you have like one last thing to say, but I just wanted to just reiterate how exciting it is the work that's happening in Fairfax and um, also just in both cases, Baltimore and Fairfax, just how much you all took into account the teachers' voices, and I know it's like ultimately about the students, but the teachers are the ones doing that hard work. And mm-hmm. I think often it feels from a teacher's lens like the district chose a curriculum. They're telling me I have to do it. Now they're going to come in and make sure I do it, <laughs> right? And and it just is really really helpful to hear how you all did this to get the teachers' voices involved, but also you know make sure that they understand the why behind making changes. And I just, I just wanted to applaud you all for that amazing work that you did. Great. Thank you, Melissa. I, you know, I'll never turn up the moment of giving a last final word. So I'm going to roll. I'm I changed my last final word from our pre-call. So I'm going to go with the C's. Um, Surprise us. Exactly. I've got a couple C's that I think are really important. So coherence is one in that design that we talked about, you know, really being coherent from start to finish of planning for the RFP, the adoption process, the implementation, the continued work across. Um, I think codification is really important. How do you capture both what you're trying to do and the lessons learned along the way? So making sure that the plan is available, as Jean talked about, having, you know, version 3.0 is really important because that shows that you're looking at it. It shows the other C of continuous improvement, right? How are you studying what's happening and what happens along that process and moves you through there? And um, I think another C is collaboration. 
So building that community um, in your district, but I think it's also learning outside of your district. So we talked about this, right? Collaborating with people like Melissa and Lori Love Literacy, because you've got experts that are coming to the work. You've got folks like Susan Lambert and the Science of Reading podcast that she has. Um, You also have other experts in other districts. So people like Curriculum Matters that are bringing that work together. We talked about Ed Reports, Rivet, all of those great resources. Um, And then I'll end with not a C, but an L. (laughs) being a learner, right? Leaning into this process and being a learner as you go. Um, I can't tell you how much I grew just in the process of adoption, implementation in the work, even though I had been leading that work for a number of years in Baltimore. So it was such a gift to be able to go deep um, and learn from the experts around us that were our teachers, our students, our our leaders. So just again, thanks for having us be able to talk about this because I think it's super exciting. And Jean, I envy you um, being in the seat where you are to be able to jump back into this work and lead through it. I'm so excited. Thank you. And I would add one other C, Janice, um, for advice, uh, core values. Um, when you know your, when you know your core values and I, you know, students come first. And I think, um, parents would say that the school board would say that school leaders would say that teachers would say that, um, then it's, then there's no question about whether you're doing the right thing or not. Absolutely. Thank you for that. That they, those they were had wonderful. great advice. <laughs> See, I'm glad we glad we wrapped it up with yeah. with coherence, codification, collaboration, core values, and and learning. I, yeah, learning. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you both for for being here and for doing this with us today. We are so excited for listeners to hear this podcast. It's going to be a game changer for anyone who's in the RFP process, adoption process, and stepping into the implementation space. So thank you both. And Jean, you'll have to keep us updated on what happens after the RFP process. I will. Yes, I absolutely. I will. I know. It's like, I was was thinking after Janice's uh, car metaphor, I was like, it's kind of like a pregnancy, you know, you're like doing all this work and then (laughs) surprise, right? Once you have the baby, you have to do the work. (laughs) The best. We we could keep coming up with metaphors all day long. (laughs) Stop us now. But it is. But the work never ends, true. right? Like after the pregnancy, you have the baby and then you're like, right. more work. More work. Yep. And every, every stage and is exciting. That's that's great great along the way. That's right. <laughs> Some literacy BFFs. Yes. I yep. love it. Take- uh, oh, have a really good day. Thank you both for being yeah, here. Thank you. All. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so Bye. much. Thank you for listening, literacy lovers. Remember, we have a new episode out every Friday. And we send a super helpful newsletter with follow-up content each Tuesday. Be sure to visit our website to subscribe to our newsletter and podcast. It's literacypodcast.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Literacy Podcast. And please reach out with questions or ideas for podcast episodes. We love hearing from you. Melissa, what's our email address? Melissa and Lori at literacypodcast.com. We are so glad you're here to learn with us.